0: Good morning and welcome to the Religious Studies Project.
1: How are you today, Chris? Well, I'm, I'm fine and we've, we've just had our first, I think, only ever, um, sort of recording studio mix up, um, Indeed. before, before starting a recording. So, uh, you know, we do, we do this in the same studio every week, but the, uh, but Franz Ferdinand needed in to, to record their, their next album. Yeah, we've so. been double booked. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, they're nice chaps, but they have their limits. Exactly. We're presented in association with the British Association for the Study of Religions, and uh, this is the first week of a sort of David um, megamix. Um, David has been interviewing Kocky von Stuckrad on discursive approaches um, in the study of religion. Um, well, just and in general. Okay.
0: And here to introduce that is me.
1: Discursive analysis
0: of one kind or another have become one of the most prominent theoretical approaches in the contemporary study of religion. The linguistic and critical turns took longer to influence religious studies than in many other fields, but in recent years the approach has produced some of the most influential works in the field which challenge many of the traditional assumptions of the discipline. To tell us how discursive approaches might solve the problems of contemporary religious studies, we're joined today by Koku von Stuckrad, Professor of Religious Studies and since 2003 the Dean of the Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. He's published extensively on topics related to the history of religion in Europe, on method and theory in the study of religion, on esoteric and mystical traditions, and European intellectual history. His latest book is The Scientification of Religion, a historical study of discursive change, 1800 to 2000, which came out last year on Gruyter. So th- first of all, welcome to the Religious Studies Project. Thank you for inviting me here. Uh, Not at all. Can we start today, um, maybe by just explaining to us a little bit what discursive analysis exactly is and its relevance?
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, as you as you said in the introduction, it is a. Term that is used quite frequently and in very different contexts and uh, applications, and there is also some some vagueness about uh, how people use it and some diversity in, in 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 how to apply the term and how to put the the theoretical framework into use um, and to apply it to our data, and uh, that is uh, therefore is very very good to start with. Uh, yeah. with the, um Concretization of what it's actually mean, uh, what what the term actually means, and there are roughly two areas uh, or two um, histories of uh, contemporary discursive approaches, uh, not only to religion but also to other themes, and one is um, very closely related to linguistic approaches that you that you. Uh, uh, use a term, uh, or you look for a term that is used in, uh, in human com- communication or in, or in written sources and so on, like nature or so. And then you can say it's mm-hmm. a, it's a discourse on nature when people use the term nature. So more very linguistic, uh, yeah. oriented. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course, mm-hmm. but it's, um, often people think that discourse analysis must is is something more than just like content analysis. For instance, if you just look at the, at the terms that are used and look Mm -hmm. uh, into the connotation that they have and the frequency of the use and so on. So uh, the, the other Uh, line of uh, discursive approaches comes more from the sociology of knowledge uh, and how knowledge in social communication is generated and stabilized and produced basically in in academia but also in, Mm -hmm. in all kinds of communication and then that is for instance closely related to the uh, to to the name of Michel Foucault who looked into uh, the 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 genealogy of what we think is mm-hmm. true or wrong and or false and what is accepted knowledge and what is what is unaccepted knowledge and so on and this is more sociology of knowledge approach uh, goes beyond uh, terms uh, and also beyond uh, what is very prominent in critical discourse analysis mm-hmm. for instance mm-hmm. political power um, uh, structures that are underlying texts and, and linguistic communication and uh, this um, line of discursive approaches looks into how, how uh, certain knowledge about a theme like nature so the, the term is important without mm-hmm. talking about nature there is hardly a discourse on nature, but you look further and look into how uh, opinions and knowledge uh, which is more or less the same in that context uh, um, this is not absolute knowledge uh, or realistic in in a, in a classic uh, philosophical sense, but it's more relativistic yeah uh, maybe we come to that later, but it is it is more a uh a uh, accepted knowledge that is shared in a certain community and this approach looks into how uh, for instance a um, a uh, discourse on nature uh, creates certain opinions and knowledge about nature how mm-hmm. we value nature for instance or whether it is important whether there are educational programs so this is a part of a discourse on nature if mm-hmm. there is a for instance a ministry of yeah, of yeah. Uh, um, environmental uh, issues and so on, or whether it is this part of agriculture. And so, so all these um, examples show that uh, a discourse is more than just a, just a, the the term that is used, Custodian. and uh, also how you how you link certain uh, notions of nature to other notions. Like if you link nature to, for instance, spiritual. Uh, dimensions, or mm. if you venerate nature, or if you, uh, have certain ethical commitments connected to, to nature, and then there, therefore you can, you can talk also in religious, uh, studies as a, about a, oh, meaningfully about a discourse on nature. And, uh, so th- this is basically the, um, um, the, 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 the bottom line of what discourses are so it is a discursive practice it's not just a text but it is a discursive practice uh, that um, is uh, enacted in communication and the communication does include of course talking and writing so we have to deal with text and written sources, but it also includes institutions um like uh, educational programs yeah. or whatever and um and in our own institutions as as researchers as, as exactly, well exactly yeah. exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then there also comes our um responsibility as scholars into into the picture of course we have mm-hmm. to we we can um create certain knowledge and that that knowledge can be turned into practice and Environmentalism is an example of yeah. that, or nature-based spiritualities are an example of that. Uh, like uh, in the scientification book, I have a chapter on how, uh, how this, this um, ecological knowledge that is attributed to, uh, well, to, to nature, also absorbed certain religious language mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. veneration to nature and then combined with some some gendered uh, production of nature like the veneration of the goddess, for instance, mm-hmm. which is an academic idea to begin with around 1900 and then later it took off as an identity marker for religious people as well. And so vicar and modern mm-hmm. or contemporary witchcraft is basically co-founded by academic theories, and and that that is an example of how a discourse on the goddess, for instance, or linked to to yeah. discourse on nature, um, can be uh, can result in a uh, religious reality. Indeed. and in discourse theory, you also call this reification of yeah. some ideas. So we often have to do with materializations of the ideas that we produce. And Bruno Latour's lectures. Um
0: in Edinburgh uh, last year, he was talking about the, the roots of natural science and of nature, yeah. and he said something similar. You know, the, the the idea that we can we talk about nature at all is kind of um, part of a, a, a religious discourse which separated man from everything else in creation. Yeah. You know, so there was we needed a word for everything that isn't us, and um, right. it was that removal of of humanity from the rest of nature that produced that kind yeah. of idea yeah. that that science then inherited. Yeah. Right yeah so that's an example of kind of the other we ran really.
2: absolutely absolutely and it is a like I could also refer to what uh, Brun Latour writes about uh, Gaia uh, also yeah. As, as, yeah. as an idea it's 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 resonant also with Ron Taylor's work for instance on yeah. dark green religion where we tries to show that that actually these attributions of spiritual meaning to nature and uh, giving intrinsic value to nature uh, is something that is a a globally um, a global phenomenon and yeah. quite uh, um strong phenomenon as well on all political religious and and social levels but
0: yet completely historically traceable you can even yeah. go back to the romantic period and see exactly. this kind of spiritual uh, exactly. language emerging
2: right right
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. um so um so how has this kind of approach then changed religious studies or, or challenged religious studies? I mean, um, religious studies is a very young discipline in some respects and um, has, has changed quite dramatically in recent years.
2: Yeah, I think uh, religious studies uh, was introduced into academic institutions at the end of the 19th century, together with all these other um, uh, disciplines like Indology, for mm-hmm. instance, or Anthropology, Sociology, yeah. all these, these uh uh, even classics um, and other um, uh, psychology and other disciplines, and and this can be interpreted as kind of institutionalization of academic knowledge, and also a new phase in which knowledge uh, was produced and popularized in a in a broader broader discourse, and what we see in the in the twentieth century uh, that. There have been as you said uh, challenges to the to the study of religion uh coming particularly from uh from uh, critical uh responses from colonial uh, post colonial post-colonial. Uh, discourse uh, uh, discussion and critique also from from other um, um, uh, like uh, the, the, the critique of the um, um, religionist approach that you look for the, the sacred in mm-hmm. the, in the, mm-hmm. in the revealed uh, history and so on. So all these, all these, um, discussions have, of course, uh, formed the, um, the study of religion, particularly in the second half of the, of the 20th century. And I think we, we cannot just go, uh, go back and say, okay, well, we have all these hundreds of definitions of religion and all of them are a little bit, problematic, but we can, we just have to come up with better, mm-hmm. better definitions. I, that's one way of doing it. Yeah. And some people. Uh, have this endless uh, discussion about what is what, what is a good proper uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, generic uh, definition of religion it doesn't show any signs of going away at all <laughs> exactly that's that's not that might work for certain limited usages in in uh, individual research projects for instance yeah. there's nothing wrong with definitions of course but. Um, I think we uh, should also um, include the reflection on how definitions emerge and how uh, definitions are used uh, and have a certain function in social communication. And we can learn a lot from postcolonial studies and David Chittis's work, for instance, mm-hmm. in this regard. Um, and if we include this critical self-reflection on the impact that our definitions have, for instance, or the, the, um, Indeed, the power structure that we perpetuate with, with it or maybe criticize also. But we have a certain position as a scholar with uh, having a, having a, um, definition. And again, there is nothing intrinsically wrong. With yeah. That. But if we, if we, um, fashion this definition as a gen- general understanding of what religion is, then, then I don't think uh, that will bring us any, uh, any further. Um, and, Discourse theory is an attempt to um, to include the reflective uh, dimension of the discussion about definitions of religion into the work itself yeah. so we are we are not looking at particular uh, we we're not defining or religion as as an object that we can study but we we define a discourse on religion so we 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 still define something so we have to say well what is what is part of religion discourse and what it's not yeah we we have to discuss the 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 limits of a discourse uh it's a different that's another question but we but we don't define religion itself we our object of study is basically how um, definitions of religion emerge, how they mm-hmm. function, what their what uses, uh, the benefit maybe, and how they change the world that yeah. we're living in, yeah. and the meaning making about um, uh, the world. And that is self-critical in a way, and it's also uh, I think a, a response to a possible response to post-colonial critique that you say, well, you mm-hmm. just exported all this religion theme to other cultures that Mm -hmm. have never a concept of religion. And that's true. But in in discourse theory, you would say, or you can say, (laughs) certainly, that, well, if there is a Discourse, uh, if, if there is a term in Indian or languages or in Chinese or in Japanese or in African languages that is not religion, then we are not talking about a discourse on religion
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: or in old Egypt. You know, they, we are talking about Maat, for instance, yes, and not yes. about religion. So there is no, no need to, we can write books about discourses on Maat. Yeah. That's. But that's maybe something else then. then mm-hmm. is. So we, we, we. Uh, but at the same time, as soon as there is a anthropologist going to China, for instance, or a Jesuit in the seventeenth century, so mm-hmm. say, oh, this term is exactly uh, what ma uh, what what uh, religion means. Yeah. Then we are talking about a. uh uh, entanglement of two discourses on r- religion mm-hmm. and on another term and then we talk basically about two discourses that are mingled yeah. and put together yeah. and with this entanglement um, the the meaning of both terms change Indeed. so if there would, wouldn't have been a uh, historical encounter of, between european countries and non-european countries they wouldn't be the modern concept of religion, even indeed, even the, yeah, that's just right. the, the European one. What, totally different. Exactly. I was just thinking that that's like like Tim
0: Fitzgerald's point. You know, the, the, the whole discourse on on religion starts in Europe when we encounter other things which look very much like what we do. Right. Right? So that's when you get kind of religion and secular emerging as terms at all. Before exactly. that it was just what everybody did. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That um that moment where the two kind of discourses overlap and you get this transformation of both terms, is that what you would refer to as a discursive field?
2: Um, yeah, just discursive field can, um, m- means that you, that you have, you can have a discourse on religion, for instance, which uses the term, for mm-hmm. instance, and, but you can also go beyond that. He said, for instance, uh, spirituality also oh, can okay. be, right can right be part of a, Field of discourse that is also religious. Yeah, if they don't talk about religion, then maybe it's a discourse on spirituality, yeah. and we can. But then we see, okay, sometimes spirituality is well, very simple, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is non-institutionalized religion, something like that, yes. personal experience mm-hmm. of something bigger or whatever. So there, are, there are different. So there are certain. If you if you break these concepts down into other um classes of terms that are used uh, to make sense of what we mean then there is considerable overlap and we can disen- disentangle these these discourses and then see okay well if we just exchange one part of this and we see that that there's considerable overlap between mm-hmm. for instance spirituality and and religion yeah and and that can be a uh, a field a field of discourse in which also the 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 scholar or himself are actors and and agents to um, influence the the attribution of meaning to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um,
0: I'll come back to that um, towards the end. Um, Just now I would like to ask you about, um, you have identified kind of three um, main problems that, that religious studies faces um as 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 a discipline or you know a field of study at the moment which uh in the crisis of representation the situated observer and the dilemma of essentialism um maybe you could take us through these um kind of briefly and explain how applying sort of discursive approaches helps us to to deal with these problems
2: yeah, these are huge themes, of course, and also yeah, catchwords. And oh, yeah. they, they represent a, a, a certain turns and certain developments in humanities in in the twentieth century, and also in in, uh, in the social sciences and in philosophy. So these are really intellectual challenges that uh, that are. Uh, intrinsic to the history of the 20th century, I would say. And uh, some of these terms are also um, very philosophically charged. And we can look at the crisis of representation um, um, is both a philosophical understanding, which usually is discussed uh, between realism and relativism. Yeah, And there are radical forms of both, and there are a lot of uh, shades of gray in between. So, um, so,
0: d- just very briefly yeah. for the, for the sake of our listeners. So, um, the realism would be the position that there's underlying our ability to perceive the world. There's a, there's an actual world of kind of facts, right? And They're the like world
2: looks exactly like we describe it. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, that's, the, that's, yeah, the ability so, yeah, to actually yeah, be able to yeah. describe that, of course. So that's what what Richard Rorty call, calls the the, the uh, uh, idea of representation. Yeah. Whereas a, a, a realist,
0: so, uh, a relativist, sorry, position would be kind of the opposite. That that reality as we perceive it is created by yeah, our our descriptions it's and completely arbitrary. Yeah.
2: So okay. there's the, on, on on one pole of uh, this uh, is uh, the the realist who who uh, the, yeah the realist who says, well, this is exactly our models of nature are exactly like nature. Yeah. This is a Leopold von Ranke understanding of historic, histori- historiography in the 19th century. Yeah. yeah. History historiography is just to tell how it was. Yeah. Yeah exactly that's, and and so that's in, in historiography they this discipline has gone through this yeah. crisis as well yeah. and then on the other extreme uh, there is uh, there are relativists who would say well this this is all made up mm-hmm. there is no there's no link between our models or our narratives and and reality and it, yeah. so if there is any they are not reality really, you yeah, can't yeah, access it yeah exactly they are not really um, examples for these extreme positions, yeah. but there are pretty extreme yeah. positions. And Richard Rorty is an example of, of one very intelligent, might be view, very intelligent form of yeah. the relativism, which does not mean that uh, everything is made up. This is not, uh, it's not invention. Mm-hmm. So we cannot invent anything. Also, if you read Michel Foucault, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. We are totally, totally uh, dependent on structures that are, yeah not in our control. So um, relativism in that uh, regard means that everything is related to something and everything can uh, gain its meaning only in relation to something. So if if someone says something about Africa or so, or about uh, women or about something um, uh, something else – True for everything we say, then it makes a difference from which position, from which mm-hmm. context, from which structure. Basically, uh, this this position uh, or this meaning is uh, is um, um, attributed. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we can understand this data if this is data. But it's um, true also for for historical data or mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. interviews that we do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we can understand the. Uh, the meaning of this data only in relation to something. Yeah, okay. and uh, so these are the the this is the crisis of representation. What what do our models actually represent? Right. Yeah. 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 And and there are these extreme positions. And there's a very radical critique that religion is just Protestant fantasy about something. So yeah, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald yeah. Uh, or Rasmakachin or so there's a yeah. uh, very strongly focused on, on, on Iliadian history mm-hmm. of religion approach, which is one way um of criticizing it. But there, at, on the other hand, if you go back to Max Weber or others who, who was a total relativist, basically, yeah. but at the same time he thinks he wants to to identify certain certain patterns that we still can use as ideal types to play play with right. to to see differences right. in, or like the, in human uh, action.
0: Müller or Thieler, yeah. those kind of people who were, there was a thing called religion in the world, and we can organize it in this way.
2: Yeah, that's that's the Müller yeah, 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 yeah indeed uh, approach. Yeah, so uh, so the crisis of representation means I think that we have to find a response to what we are actually talking about. What is the status of our theories um, of religion in that indeed. case? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have to respond to that. And I think in uh, discur- discursive approaches are. Uh, attempts to respond to that in a self-critical way, that we can say, okay, we 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 include in our description of phenomena also the the way these descriptions um, function mm-hmm. in our own networks and yeah. our communications, and why, for instance. Uh, um, Newton uh, Isaac Newton is known as of course as a <laughs> as a great scholar a great uh, scientist and uh, his his um, philosophical uh, natural scientist uh, physical works are displayed uh, mm-hmm. at the British Museum and so forth but in the 1920s his alchemical writings were appeared somewhere on the market in in London for 10 Uh, pound or so yeah you you could just so and nobody knows that that newton wrote much more on theology and and alchemy uh Mm -hmm. than on physics he not even called it physics he called it uh, natural philosophy so the all these all these things are part of what we what we think that there is a was a scientific revolution and we also look into facts like that the term scientific revolution was for the first time used in 1927 yeah so this and so we we keep in we include in our description this genealogical element of what why we make sense in this way of what we're doing mm-hmm. that does not mean that everything has to be a discourse analysis that's why i'm not Usually, uh, calling this a method that we yeah, have, yeah. but it's a it's a framework in which we develop our our uh, um, our theories mm-hmm. about history or about whatever. Um, and within this framework, work our um, thought style, as Fleck called it in the 1930s. Already, um, w- within this this framework uh, of discursive reflection, we can apply different methodologies and mm-hmm. methods so we can still make a translation of a historical book for instance yes. which is in, in itself not a discourse analysis Indeed. but it can be part of a discursive understanding of what is uh, what is actually going on yeah. so this is this is how i would um, describe the the difference between uh, discourse analysis as a as a Method, which also like critical discourse analysis, for instance, mm-hmm. the CDA is often presented as yeah, a, as a yeah, method. Yeah. You, you have a text or an uh, advertisement or whatever, or film yes, clip right, or yeah. whatever, and then you go into it and then you apply a certain mm-hmm. methodological approach. That's, that's possible, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also have a broader understanding of discursive uh, contexts mm-hmm. in which you can apply various forms of method.
0: Which leads quite nicely into the second problem, um, which is of course the, the um, that the, the questions we're asking and the language we're using in the context we're in includes us. It includes the scholar right. and and you know the, the um, we're part of the thing that we're representing and right. and, and um, analyzing.
2: Yeah. That's what Heisenberg and others did in quantum physics, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. And then, again, you have this in different intellectual traditions. You have in anthropology Clifford Gertz, uh, who writes about the, the scholar as author. Mm-hmm. So we don't anymore write, or these anthropologists don't anymore write only for the colleagues uh, on universities in England somewhere. But, yeah. But they are read by their data. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, what, what happens if... Uh, uh, native americans read actually what the scholars write about them and all, all, all this this is, is a different it's a situated it's yeah. an embedded uh, scholar um, and we have to uh, respond to that the same is true for uh, for uh historiography again that's uh, hayden white who said uh, this is these are basically written like novels yes and we create yeah. certain knowledge not on the basis of facts only, but how we present these facts. Yeah. So, so all these um, these discussions have been going on for a, for a while, and religious studies has to respond to that as well. And we have to find our place in uh, in, uh, in in this field. Uh, and in discourse theory, you would say these uh, the the author or the scholar um, is part of the discourse community yeah. that he or she is studying. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then we. We produce knowledge on websites These are, this knowledge is absor- uh, absorbed by by the people we study and so on so there is a discourse community going on that um, needs to be taken into account and that that, that changes also scholarly opinions yeah. Yeah. and the the knowledge that is uh, that is produced and I think this um, sociology of knowledge approaches are apt to uh, to take this into account, also on a sound, rigorous, theoretical basis. Indeed. So um, the
0: third point then is uh, the dilemma of essentialism and relativism. Um, you might need to unpack that one a little bit for us.
2: Yeah, that that resonates with uh, what we discussed earlier with the realism and relativism, okay. but also um, with the um, essentialism. In a way, what what um, that. Has been a strong tradition, particularly in the phenomenolo- phenomenology of religion tradition, yeah. um, from Schleiermacher to uh, Iliade, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and, and this is not relativistic, of course. This is uh, like, like what uh, some phenomenologists say. Well, I know that God exists. I can prove it mm-hmm. by studying. History, uh, so yeah. so this is the, the the materialization of some divine essence in right. history, and that 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 has been a problem for religious studies. So for we're talking a about the, the sui generis kind of the approach. sui generis yeah. approach. Yeah, yeah, that religion is something that is not just what, like studying history mm-hmm. or so. It is a category of itself. Yeah, and um, and that is relativized, of course, in in in. Uh, Many in uh, many ways, and essentialism also is a problem for historiography for for other uh, disciplines as well um, that you that you claim something that exists basically as if it is existing uh, uh, independent of our uh, construction of indeed, it Indeed. and we, we have the same problem how uh, how is this related again? And essentialism certainly doesn't go very well with discourse theory. Um, because <laughs> <Then, laughs> yeah. you, you always have this kind of, uh, well, you can have a discourse on essentialism. <laughs> that, that would be fair to study, but you would not, uh, Uh, include these claims as tools of study in your, your, these these are our our data, basically. Mm -hmm. We study Mm -hmm. essentialist claims. Mm -hmm. And that's also a difference between um, religious studies and theology. So because theology is much more okay or maybe oh, even yeah, it's, yeah. Necessary, it's necessary even, yeah. uh, i would say uh, if you have a proper theology whatever that is but but it's quite common in in if you talk yeah. about god and develop a, a knowledge a reasoned argument about god which is basically the the yeah. definition of uh, uh, meaning of the term theology, um, that that in, in, implies, of course, that you have some normative and essentialist uh, claims about the divine.
0: It's surprisingly common, though, even in religious studies. I yeah. mean, often it's it might not be particularly obvious, but you only have to kind of scratch the surface before we're talking about you know um, things which are which. You know, that embody the religious or manifest the sacred right. or these kind of ideas.
2: Absolutely. And it's even, in, in some, I usually make, to, to, to sort this out, I make a distinction between theology and theologians. Mm-hmm. And theology has this kind of uh, understanding that, uh, but, but there are many theologians who basically are not doing this they do in history of Christianity. Yes, yes. all they are philological analysis or whatever. So yeah. this is not theology in that. That is basically uh, religious studies, I would say. Yeah. Or so, on, the, on the other hand, you have uh, people, uh, scholars who are in the field of religious studies, but what they actually do is theology. Yeah, okay. And this is quite strong in pagan studies, for instance. Uh, there are even books, Pagan Theology, written by um, uh, historians of religion mm. and not theologians. And it's also in environmental studies, for instance, you take a stance. You, you, you fight yeah. for Mother Earth or whatever. So, okay. so it's, so there is a, the, the engaged scholar as a category. So it's much more complex than just theology and religious studies. Yeah, and we have to deal with some biases. We have to deal absolutely. with how do we relate to, uh, the essentialist, uh, dimensions of our, our work or the normative. Dimensions: Are we self-critical of this, and is it okay, or is it, if we are reflective, and is there something like a neutral scholar? I would doubt it. Uh, so, so, but but this is um, also part of the trench war between religious studies and, and theology. Sometimes, indeed. Um, just
0: to kind of uh, to close up, then, I mean, this kind of approach and the way that you've speak, spoken to each of these problems. I mean, it reminds me of, of Chid Esther's call that, you know, we need to be endlessly self-reflexive in religious studies um, about the terms we're using and the way that we're approaching things. Uh, have you any sort of last comments on, um, on how discursive um, approaches, you know, broadly uh, allow us to, to more easily be this kind of actively self-critical that we need to be about ourselves and, and our discipline?
2: I, I would subscribe to uh, David uh claim that, that, particularly in the study of religion, because it has this colonial and also mm-hmm. Christianity theology, so we, we have this 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 background or this long shadow yeah. that we are still uh, wrestling yeah. with. Um, it is certainly um, necessary to be be constantly self-critical about the terms and concepts that we that. Uh, that we need, uh, that that we use, and it's also, I think, important if we want to understand what today uh, the, the the place of religion in the global societies mm. today is to to have this genealogical approach to how these this attribution of meaning has come into being in the first place, and this is not only about uh, the West, the yeah. so-called West. Yeah. Uh, this is also about uh, what Campbell calls the Easternization of the West, or what others call the entangled histories because be, between different uh, cultural centers and so on, on a global level. And uh, discourse uh, theory and discursive approaches help us to uh, formulate a vocabulary in which we actually can, can, uh, can describe the complexity of these identity formations that include the academic identities of scholars today. And that's why I think it's uh, a very useful approach to the complex phenomena that we are studying. Indeed. Professor Von thanks very
1: much for speaking to the Religious Studies Project today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much for that, David. Uh, Wonderful to hear um, two of the best-dressed men in religious studies having uh, some very important conversations about uh, an approach that is, is close to um, both of our theoretical hearts and a lot of our uh, contemporaries as well. So. Indeed. i tell you what I'm looking forward to, Chris, is the response
0: or responses mm. this uh, this coming Thursday from our good friends, uh, Damu Terra and Hannah Lettinen.
1: Yeah, and Damu... Uh, it's particularly well placed to to write that response, having uh, written a number of articles on um, discursive study and the academic study of religion, including a chapter.
0: Yes, in, in our forthcoming book, After World Religions, Reconstructing Religious Studies.
1: Yeah, which uh, we presented at uh, a panel at the IEHR, which was indeed where he recorded the interviews. So there's so many connections here, it's uncanny. It's, it's uncanny, isn't it? Um, so yes, very much looking forward to that. Um, as we we said last week, we've got a few um, big news items kind of on the boil, but we're we're going to have to we're going to have to keep a little bit stum about that. But um, Dave, uh, we've we've got a few interviews that we've recorded recently. Um, I, I interviewed um, Dominic Corey Wright of the, the BASR on uh, teaching and learning in religious studies, which is a, a very important aspect of what we do in RS, but hasn't really been. Um, featured at all. Oh, we, we had a, a podcast on, on teaching RS online with Doe Daughtry that Kevin Whiteside's recorded. Indeed, for indeed. It. Um, and you've just been speaking with Tom Wagner. Indeed, uh, Tom Wagner
0: is, uh, he's a ethnomusicologist here at the University of Edinburgh and he's um, been doing some work on um, mega churches and the way that they use music as part of their marketing strategy. He's, he has a, a background in marketing and as, as I said, in ethnomusicology. So that's a, a very interesting conversation. And we, we go into Scientology and all sorts of things. So I, I very much enjoyed that. And I'm sure that you will too.
1: Thanks, David. Well, listeners, you can come back next week to hear David speaking with Susan Palmer on uh, new religious movements and the law. Um, and you can also. Um, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and on iTunes. Google Plus is there as well. And remember, we're now into December, so there's a sort of bizarre um, pagan festival that comes up around the the 25th of December that people tend to buy lots of consumer goods for. Um, If you are on amazon.com.co.uk or .ca, remember, if you click through from our website, Um, people get um, all that lovely dough.
0: Yes, indeed. And, you know, in terms of world views and, uh, you know, cultural systems, then, you know, it's a festival celebrating capitalism, which is our religion. Exactly.
1: So tune in next week, and thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Thanks for listening.